Welcome to the Kelly Cardenas Podcast, where attitude is everything. On today's show, I'm super honored because this has been a friend of mine for uh, 1997 to now is 25 years. So 25 years of friendship, we're going to try and get into about 45 minutes to an hour for you. Um, but uh, the topics are going to range anywhere from, you know, uh, friendship to um, children to entrepreneurship to traveling all the way to Ghana to start their first business. Um, I just think it's incredible. And uh, this young lady has been with me, uh, uh, again, we've been friends for 25 years, but she has been with me through every aspect of, uh, numerous aspects of my career, um, and it's been incredible. Uh, there's nothing that can replace 25 years of friendship. Um, you can't fake this thing. We can't give you the seven steps to have a great friend today, and we're never going to give it to you, and it wouldn't work anyway. You just got to put in the time. Um, my wife told me last night that uh, it's not about, like, this is a cliche kind of thing, but that it, most people are focused on the end result of whether it be a friendship or relationship, but they're not locked into realizing that the process of it is where the success is and every step of the way and watching each other grow that way. I'm so uh, proud of this young woman. Uh, I, I am excited to be able to have her here, and I am not going to give her a hard time at all, except right now, that she judged me for how slow I type. Uh, so, I want to welcome to the show Miss Akila Cunningham. Thank you for having me, Kelly. <laughs> the thing that I didn't uh, thing that I didn't mention right off the bat, Akila, was uh, uh, or it, it's called Kila's Ankara Boutique. She's the founder of this, and this is the first woman in my life that has ever traveled around the globe to start her first business. <laughs> now she lives in San Diego, California, and she started her first business out of Ghana. I want to start there, Akila, because most people would be like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur, so I'm going to start my first business, and I'm going to do it probably 10 minutes from my house because the commute. Um, your commute <laughs> is to Ghana from San Diego. Tell us how this happened and how this started out. Well, I have a friend um, named Mike, and he talked about his trip to Ghana several times, and I have never, ever traveled anywhere outside of San Diego. Well, let me take that back, out of the United States. So one of my New Year's resolutions was, of course, to do international travel, and COVID hit, didn't happen, didn't happen. So finally, once we came out of the lockdown, I said, you know what, I want to go to Ghana. So I grabbed my stepdaughter, and we took our first trip to Ghana. Hold on. You yada yada me through a couple of things because <laughs> you just you just said, oh, well, the, I wanted to go. My my buddy told me about, I mean, for those of you listening, hopefully you know where Ghana is. Ghana's in Africa. We are, we, we are in San Diego, California right now. And even right now where we're at, we're in Carlsbad, California, which is a commute for Aquila. Yes. Okay, so that's a commute. Like to San Diegans, Carlsbad is like going to New York, Okay. You said, you said, my buddy said I went to Ghana. Okay, I'm going to, I grabbed my stepdaughter and we just went to Ghana. Going into a foreign country, right? Yes. Uh, a country where you've never been, you've never traveled outside the, the, the country in the first place. I mean, to be able to navigate it, talk to us about that and, and the, the feeling and, and the, the things that you learned, because we got a chance to talk about this, about the culture um, and how different the culture was than where, where you are here in San Diego. Well, Luckily, I, I know some people over in Ghana that kind of took us all over the place. I mean, we had our first trip was an adventure. We were supposed to be there seven days. Turned out we were only there three days because our flight got canceled. 
Uh, we had issues with COVID tests. It was just, it was an adventure. But once we got there, uh, we connected with uh, the people that hosted us, and we were able to just go all over Ghana. I mean, we got to go to the Jubilee House, which is like their White House. And um, we walked up, and we said, hey, can we come on the ground just to take pictures? And they were like, no pictures allowed. And we're like, okay, well, can we come on the grounds? We're from America. Well, once they found out we're from America and they looked at my stepdaughter because she's cute, um, <laughs> <laughs> they, they, somehow we ended up on the grounds and in the Jubilee house. Of course, we had to go through like being searched and metal detectors and everything, but we ended up in the Jubilee house and we ended up in their press room and we almost got up to the top floor where the presidential office is until... Uh, some ladies saw us and did not like how my stepdaughter was dressed and started screaming. And we were like, what is going on? I said, okay, we're going to leave now. So we walked out, but we had a military escort on the grounds and military escort off the grounds. And, you know, it, like I said, it was a three-day whirlwind trip and it wasn't enough. So that's what took us back in December. And we were there for six days then. And we were able to tour and go to the Abiri Gardens and you know, I met up with uh, a seamstress, and uh, that kind of helped develop the idea for uh, Aquila's Ankara Boutique, because uh, Ankara is the material that the clothing is made out of. So, Aquila, why is this so important? We talked about this, and let's, let's jump right, uh, I mean, I want to jump right into this part, and you and I have been friends for 25 years, so... Over the 25 years, we've got to have some really cool conversations. And, and there's no holds barred in our conversations. Our friendship is just, it is what it is. And we started to talk about you going to a country where you weren't the minority. Can you talk to us about how that felt? Because I, I almost saw you, or like when, when we talked about this before, you almost relaxed in your seat. You, I didn't even tell you this, but you relaxed in your seat and you almost took a, a breath. Like you, you were almost... Uh, um, relieved when you told me like it was one of the first places where when I walked in like I, I wasn't the I wasn't the only one right so when I landed there at first you're in shock because you look around and you're like wow everybody's like me We're okay for those of you not watching Akila, explain oh, okay. what they're to explain this part so of it I am African-American okay and I get off the plane and I see <laughs> other people that look like me you know and their bodies, the women's bodies, are curvaceous like I am. They're not, you know, skinny or, you know, not everybody's blonde hair, blue-eyed. It's just, it was great. I mean, like I said, I was in shock because I come from California. Where it's a melting pot here. We have all different cultures, all different uh, ethnic ethnicities. And then you go to Ghana, and it's everybody's black. And... You know, th I mean, the only difference is once I open my mouth, they know I'm from California. <laughs> <laughs> so my friends over there tell me, don't talk. When we go in places, don't talk. We'll do the talking for you. You just tell us what you want. Uh, like when I go into a store, because they try to take advantage of us Americans, and uh, they think everybody's rich that comes there. So, you know, um, I tell them, hey, I want those shoes. And then they bargain for me and get them for $15 versus, you know, the one time I did try to bargain for myself, I think I ended up paying $100 for a pair of shoes. <laughs> I could have bought at Nordstrom. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's how that's how my wife my shout out to Brooklyn because we were over in uh, in Hawaii and she was like oh I want to buy these authentic shoes and she bought them and they were leather like strap shoe whatever mm-hmm. she gets home and on the bottom of it said made in Mexico so, uh, <laughs> so shout out shout out to Tijuana we could have went 15 miles and uh, we would have got probably a better deal on right. these Hawaiian shoes we're still paying on them to this day um, so talk to us too uh, you know you you had told me about um, you know right when you told me you said you know everyone I, I connected not connected with everyone but it was the first place where everyone looked similar to me mm-hmm. right and I wasn't the one that stood out right but you did tell me about how people looked at different features and almost like when you were talking about the the Nigerian side and you were talking about the Ghana side and, and you were talking about those things can you explain to people because I didn't understand this um, at all but you dealt with a different type of, uh, you know, um, I, w- I wouldn't say racism, but colorism, you, colorism, <laughs> right? So talk to talk to us about that. So you know, here in the United States, it's like black or white. There's that type of racism. But when you went, I go over there, the racism between the different cultures is is prevalent. So. When we were at the Jubilee House in the vehicle driving with the military, the sergeant turns around and he looks at me and he goes, are you Nigerian? And I said, no, I'm from the United States. I'm like, why? I hate Nigerians. And I'm like, why would you? I I don't understand. Why would you hate Nigerians? You know, you know, they're great people. And, you know, it's just. You know, I have friends over there. They try to rent places. They try to buy from Ghanaian places. And for some reason, they they have that issue between Ghanaians and Nigerians. And I don't know why that is. But, you know, in the United States, I mean, it's a different type of racism over there. <laughs> uh, hold on. You mean that there's racism in America? Oh, no. <laughs> Never. <laughs> <laughs> but, no... Help me with this. The thought that I was thinking about this morning is, tell us from, from a black woman's standpoint, mm-hmm. um, tell me the thing that I don't ever have to worry about. Like, as, as, a, as you know, I, those of you who know me, my dad's Mexican, I'm half Mexican, but when I walk into a place, people aren't like, oh, that dude's Mexican. They're wondering, like, uh, you know, they're, they're looking at my hair, they're looking at whatever. But there's things that I don't deal with or a white woman doesn't deal with that you deal with on a day-to-day basis, can you take us behind that curtain to help us understand? Well, I mean, of course, there's the typical angry black woman. Everybody thinks that if we raise our voice, if we get emotional, or we get passionate about something, we're angry and we're not. We're just, at that moment, we're passionate about that. You know, so, I mean, I try to tone myself down in the workplace or, you know, because I don't want to fit that stereotype, you know, but there's that stereotype out there about us, you know, or um, my kids, you know, I have two young men and my biggest fear is that, you know, they're going to get pulled over and they're going to have to face what some of these other kids in the world or men in the world have had to face and getting pulled out of the car. It happened to my brother when he was younger, walking home from Monta Vista High School. We grew up in, you know, Spring Valley, California, and he's walking home with his football gear, him and his friend, and they get stopped by police officers and thrown on the ground saying they fit the description of a robbery suspect. And one of the neighbors stops and says, so the robbery suspect had football gear. 
and they were like, well, they fit the, they fit the description. Well, then it comes over the radio that they ended up catching the robbery suspect, and they let my brother go and his friend go, and, you know, it traumatized my brother. But, I mean, he's still dealing with it today. I mean, it happened to him last year up in L.A. You know, he got pulled over and pulled out of the car and saying he fit the description of a suspect, and and no way he was coming home from his job at the hospital, you know. So, I mean... How can, a, how can a person that didn't grow up, because you, through our relationship, right, and so, and, and I've, I've talked about my, my best friend, Will, shout out to him, Will Simmons, um, we grew up together, and, you know, we've been friends for, I mean, it's been 37 years. Uh, Will happens to be mixed, uh, black and white, um, and just in the last couple of years, he started to let me know of things that when we were kids, and 10 years old, 11 years old, that I was unaware of. We would walk into a store and he would tell me about these times where he remember, and I remember it, but I remember it from my view, mm-hmm. right? And this was crazy for me because when you told me that, was it Jeffrey that got, uh, or that you were uh, telling, is Jeffrey your oldest son? Yes. Okay. So you had told me, we were having a conversation and you said, when Jeffrey turned 16, I had to have this talk with him. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what talk? And then you told me the talk and I was like, wait, are you kidding me? I mean, so- how can a person who never experienced it, um, how can they, A, be more sensitive without being the patronize, you know what I'm saying? Like the, the patronizing side of, um, oh, Akilah, I know what you're going through. Like, I can't say that to you ever because I don't. Right. But, but how, can I, how can a person who hasn't gone through that bridge that gap? And, you know, is it, uh, what, are, what are some of the things, well, let's start off with some of the things that you shouldn't say if you've never gone through it and you have a friend who does go through it. You know, the, it'll be okay, and patting on the back. It, I, I've had friends that do that. <laughs> it'll be okay. No, it's not going to be okay. You know, unfortunately, Jeffrey started experiencing racism. I think he was nine years old. He went on a field trip with this school, and it just there was another kid from another school that called him the N-word. You know, and he came home. He's like, Mom, this kid called me the N-word. And I was like, oh. So I started having the talk back when he was like nine years old. Okay. And then it happened again in middle school because um, he goes to school in El Cajon, and it's a predominantly white school. But now not only is he dealing with racism from, you know, the white side, but now also from other ethnic groups. The Chaldean kids are calling him the N-word. And... That is just like, you know, we're shocked because I'm like, okay, they're a minority. They're, they have racism against us. They should be sensitive and not be racist against other cultures. But unfortunately, it's not that way. And it's not everybody. Yeah. It's not everyone, you know. But you do have that select few that just think they're better and... You know? What's, what, besides the patent on the back, because I mean, some of the people, some of the people that are listening right now are like, damn, like I need to stop doing that because <laughs> you know that right. you're doing it right. Uh, you know, so what are some of the other things that, you know, it's just, you wish that the person wouldn't say or do and, and then let's get into how can a person, you know, how can a person, you know, help to be able to bridge the gap, you know? Well, another way is when they try to, I, I can, you know, they try to relate well, I experienced this. Well, tell me the worst one. That. Tell me the worst well, one. Tell me, give me a specific, well, I, Akilah. I don't have any examples. You don't have any examples of it because she doesn't want to call out your friend. She, <laughs> your friend is listening right now, and you ain't trying to call her out. That's, that's what it is. You know, it's just, you, 
them trying to come back and say, well, I experienced racism. And it's like, no, <laughs> you're racist. <laughs> you're, you're not experiencing what we experience on a daily basis. Yes, yes. So you when know. you when you went over to Ghana, right? And yes. so it, the paradigm shifted, right? So yeah. you started to see, and and I I saw a shift with you too, as far as like th- it wasn't just a cultural; it was a heritage thing, right? Yeah. And so it wasn't just about like you know, hey, I'm I'm coming back, and I like say I came back from Hawaii, and and I have the sandals from Tijuana on right. my wife, and I'm proud because I'm excited about Hawaii, right? Right, 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 right. It wasn't you were proud about Ghana. But it was this heritage thing, and you started talking about this clothing and how clothing could change the way yes. that people thought about who they were, right? Right. So talk to us about this, and like the Ankara. Ankara is the material, It's right? the material that uh, the clothing is made out of, but it's beautiful prints. And, you know, it's funny. Some people think, oh, well, only Africans or only blacks can wear this. No, anybody can wear this print. I did like a little test market and at a, a local swap. Uh, flea you could say right? swap meet. Yeah, hey, it's called. Hey, we've been Wait. we've been friends for twenty five years. <laughs> hey, don't try and co- sugarcoat it. Actually, it's called the Soul Swap Meet. It's the over, Soul Swap Meet. Okay. Every third Saturday, Mission Valley. I try to set up a booth there, but you know, and they just think it's traditional African clothing, daishikis and and moo okay. and things like that. But no, it's not. I my clothing. I have. The Ankara print, the jumpsuits made out of it. I have dresses, I have skirts, I have blouses, beautiful items made out of it, and anybody can wear it. And I actually have sold it to to different, you know, people from different ethnicity groups, and they love it. And so, I mean, to the point where when I, I'm leaving for Ghana on Saturday, um, when I go there, I'm picking up more clothing to bring back. This is her commute, guys. Yes. My Those commute. of you out there listening, um, <laughs> this her commute <laughs> is not driving from outside uh, Wayne Freeman. You know your commutes uh, outside of Kansas City and going into Kansas City or traveling 20 minutes away from your house. She's about to jump on a plane and go around the country to go after uh, and, and to be able to help develop Keela's Ankara Boutique. So uh, help me too, because I think a lot of times there's a lot of people out there that, okay, and we're going we're gonna, we're gonna to group people, right? So yeah. there's a lot of people out there that are listening to the podcast that look like me, okay? There are a lot of people out there listening to the podcast that look like you. Yes. Sometimes people that look like me, would say, hey, I see the I see the 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 apparel. I love it, but that is meant for X. Right. Talk to that person though. People do have that mentality, and it's for everyone. Anybody can wear this clothing. Um, don't always think it's for. Don't be narrow minded. I should say, okay. and think it's just for one ethnic group. It's for everybody. I mean, there are some big companies out there that cater to a lot of celebrities that do the Ankara material. That's my goal is to do that. But, um, yeah, I mean, have an open mind. Just come on, call me, (laughs) go on my Instagram. I'm working on, you know, like I said, it's in the developmental stage right now. But I'm hoping by the end of August to have my website up and – Again, I will be at the Soul Swap Me, and I do post on Instagram when I'm at local um, events so that you can come on out and look at the, uh, the clothing and the quality. So why is it so important, though? Because a lot of people would say, like, okay, well, here's a print, right? And, mm-hmm. and here's a print. Why, why, does it have to be from, why does it have to be from Ghana? You know what I'm saying? Like, um, and 
I, I loved this because when we were, when you and I were talking about it, I mean, the authenticity of it yeah. and, and the feel is completely different. Not only the, the actual physical feel, but the feel while you're in the jewelry or in the, the clothing is completely different. Am I correct? Yes. It, I mean, I don't know when I put it on, I feel, I mean, I, I'm, I'm starting to build my self-esteem in general, but when I put it on, I feel sexy and beautiful and extra sassy when I have it on. So I, I mean, I love the Ankara material. So talk to us too. I'm going to, I'm going to rewind when we were talking about being friends for 25 years. Uh, a lot of times people look at, uh, relationships and they want to fast forward them, right? Yeah. They want to fast forward friendships. They want to fast forward friendships into business partnerships immediately. Right. Um, they want to ch- constantly like at our age, um, you're 21, I think 22 now. Yes. Um, uh, <laughs> I've continued to age while you have stayed young, but I think a lot of times, um, people get freaked out, right? So I'll tell people that my best friend, Will, shout out to him again, uh, Will Simmons. Um, I've been friends with him since I was nine years old and I'm 47. So you're talking 38 years and people freak out on this and they're like, oh, well, how did you stay? I mean, talk to us about friendship and why does it mean so much? Because over the years, you have talked about the same people as far as your friend crew Mm -hmm. that is close to you. And and why is that so important to you and how valuable is that to people um, as you go? I mean, having your core group of friends or your own tribe is is important. I mean, those are the people that you can depend on daily. Um, Like, I can pick up the phone and call you, and you and I will pick up where we left off, you know, like when we were 21 years old, you know? (laughs) I mean, I remember when I walked into the salon, and I see this guy, and he's got this afro, and I'm like, who is that? And I actually was there to see India, another – uh, another hairdresser, and then um, I think you and I chatted a little bit, and then the next time I made an appointment with you, and then I've been with you ever since. And how was it too? Because I remember you ta- you talking about uh, you know at times, and I, I experienced this early on because I worked in Memphis. I remember having a um, uh, an African American woman come in and get her hair done, and then she had re- uh, she had referred a couple of her friends. Mm-hmm. And when they came in, I remember them taking a step back. Like I said, they said, "I'm here to see Kelly," and I came walking up, and they took a step back. And I knew why she stu- uh, stu- or stepped back. She's like, "My friend so and so referred me," and then she looked at me, and I said, "Well, um, <laughs> I, I and I just wanted her to say it." And I just wait, and I just waited. And she's like, well, um, uh, you weren't what I was expecting. And, and, and I waited because I acted like I didn't know. And she's like, well, um, my friend didn't tell me that you weren't as chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you and I have talked about this over the years too, where you've dealt with challenges on both sides, right? Like there was times where you weren't black enough. There was times where you weren't white enough. Correct. There was times where you were too white. Uh, there was times where you too black. There's, I mean, and so it, you've experienced this, this, this thing like almost right in the middle. Yes. Can you talk to us about this? Because I don't think that a lot of people understand this. And I mean, not that you have any pressure at like 15, 16 years old as a young woman, right? There's no stresses in life. That, I right. mean, it's just easy, smooth sailing, right? right? right. You don't deal with any <laughs> um, drama, drama <laughs> anything like that. But then add that into it. Can you talk to that and help us to understand what, uh, what, what maybe, and even talk to that uh, young lady out there that maybe is going through this right now? Yes. So, you know, my experience 
in elementary school, I went to Valencia Park Elementary in Southeast San Diego. Okay. Predominantly about black school, Filipino, Hispanic kids. And then I... How's well, the interaction there? When, you, oh. when you're when you in a predominantly black school, you've got Mexican, you've got Filipino. What is the interaction in that? Is there division? No, there was no division. No Everybody division. Everybody was just... Everyone's just a lighter yeah. shade of brown, a darker shade of yep. brown. Yep. We get to eat lumpia. We get to have uh, 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 carne asada. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, yes. yeah. So it's it's good. Lunchtime is good. Right. Trading right. trading at lunch is good at this time. Right. At least my opinion, there was no issues. I mean, everybody got along. Okay. I then transitioned to a school in El Cajon that was predominantly white. There was ten blacks, maybe two Asians, one or two Chaldean kids at the time. So. You know, you're transitioning over and you're trying to fit in. Even though I grew up in Spring Valley, that was predominantly white. Well, trying to go to high school, then you're my ninth grade year. I remember going to a pep rally, and one of the football players telling me, "You can't sit with us." And I'm like, "Why?" You know, I didn't know anybody. It's like the first week of school. He goes, "You're not black enough." And I looked at him and I said. I'm the same color as you. And he goes, you're not black enough. You talk like a white girl. Well, I talk like how my parents raised me. Oh. You know, I, I'm i sorry I'm, I, I'm not black enough, but I'm sorry he was the whitest black guy I've ever known. <laughs> <laughs> when so, how, how offensive is it when someone tells you, you know, or is it offensive when someone tells you, you talk white? It's offensive. Okay. I mean, you know, over the years now, I mean. How does it make you feel? I can tell you at that moment, I was very upset. I was very emotional. I how, old went, are you, how old are you at this moment? I was 15. 15 years 14 old. 14 or 15. So you're dealing with a lot of stuff at this time. Because mm-hmm. body stuff at 15 years old, every, every woman's dealing with insecurities. You know what I mean? Like you're, yeah. you're dealing with popularity issues. You're dealing with grades. Well, ladies, you don't deal with grades because you guys are all smart. Yes, like, we are. Yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's why we need you around. That's why we need you around as much as possible. Yes. But you're not dealing with it as far as the academic part of it. I mean, because that's not as much of a stress because you guys are all really brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're dealing with the <clears throat> parts that a boy, I mean, I wasn't like, man, how does my, how do I look in these jeans? Like I wasn't, I was like, I got these jeans. These are hand-me-downs. I sure hope no one knows that they were my brothers last year. Right. That was the only thing that I was dealing with. So at 15 years old, you're dealing with all those things. Then this guy says to you, hey, you can't sit with us. You're not black enough. Yeah. You talk white. What's the, what's the emotion? Like, do you want to punch him in the face? At that time, you know, I'm a sensitive person. Okay. Right. I just wanted to really just go somewhere and cry. So I just went off to the side, and that's when I met a couple friends. You know, the, we're friends now, but at the moment, they're like, come sit with us. And I just went and sat with them, and then we became friends. And we stayed friends throughout high school and beyond high school. But, um, yeah, that that was that right there. I remember it I, like it was yesterday. Did you talk to anyone about it? Just my mom. You know, I went home and I told her, and then actually it was a it was a talk between my mom and a couple of my aunts. Yes, and they were like, you know, we didn't raise you to go out there and, as my mom would say, talk ghetto. You know, you just we raised you to be able to communicate, and this is how we raised you to talk. And you know, my mom's like, well, th- you'll thank us in the long run. 
Shout out, okay. shout out to mom too. Oh, mom, love my mom. Oh, I love your mom. <laughs> Getting to spend time with her over the years too. And it's probably, I mean, I, I look at it over the past 25 years, probably been only five times. So that would be once every five years. But when she walks in the salon, I mean, it's, uh, you know, when she walks in, it, it's, it's like there's not been a day that's gone by. Right. <clears throat> Talk to us about how you were raised and why that's so important. Because when you said that about me, walking into the salon, uh, you know, and, and having that relationship over the years, there's been times, there's been gaps where it's been five, 10 years, um, you know, or at least five years where we didn't see each other. And then we connect back. What was it with your parents that made it so important and how, like, that's a, that's a, 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 an art form that you have because it's not normal. And I, I've, I've never complimented you on this, but I want to compliment you now. That's not something that's normal and natural. And, and so where did that come from, the, your, your connection point with people? Well, I mean, my, my parents, um, when it comes to friends, I can tell you my mom and dad accepted all friends, all colors, all shapes, all sizes. And Did uh, you have that one friend that your mom was like, hey, you, that one doesn't need to be around? Ever? Yeah. yeah. Well, we aren't going to name out, him I'm or her. I'm not going to name her. But after she <laughs> after she threw up on my dad's baseball hat because she was drunk, my mom's like, she doesn't need to come back in this house. You know who they, you know you, who you are. You can keep her out on the porch. Yes. And the rest of your friends can come in. <laughs> now, at that time, did you want to tell your parents like, mom, dad, she she's cool. She you just don't understand her, or did you know? Did you know that she was a bonehead? You know what? She was a great person. <laughs> She, she was a good friend, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and But once she, my mom couldn't get past her throwing up all over the house. Yeah. <laughs> Multiple Coming times over, or this was one time? It was just the one time. But one time, but it was everywhere. It was everywhere. Everywhere. All over my dad's favorite baseball hat. He was not happy about that. What were some of the things, because now we're parents, right? So we met at 21 years old and, <laughs> you know, we didn't have a care in the world. Right. And, you know, we're talking about, I remember us talking about like, you know, kid, like, kids and how we were just going to raise them as soldiers and you know they were going to do what we told them and right. and then they, then it happened and we both had children and yes. and uh um what are some of the lessons that your parents taught you that you were like I'm resisting that and now you're turning into your parents oh I turn into my mom every day like I'll be yelling at the kids and I'm like oh my gosh that's my mom's voice coming out of my mouth right now um you know one of the big things is my mom taught us don't judge people until you, like, really get to know them. And uh, just because they look a certain way doesn't mean that they're, you know, a bad person or necessarily doesn't mean they're a good person either. You know, like, when I saw you the, for the first time <laughs> with your afro. <laughs> hey, hey, this was misunderstood. Like, I was a big fan of Maxwell. For those of you out there listening, I was a big fan of Maxwell. Maxwell was hot at the time. And he was, like, Maxwell was the sexiest man on earth. Like, with the smoothest voice. Yes. Now, I thought that if I got the perm on pipe cleaners... Then, the then the ladies would like me like they like Maxwell, but th- that didn't. That wasn't the case. That wasn't the case. Uh, I ended but up. But you did have swag. I'll uh, tell okay. you that. All you right. Had Thank swag. you. Thank you. you. Swag. I was. I was. I was. I was working on it. Um, but that. Cause that I, yeah, because I was like, oh, I want to be his friend. So then, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you just had that vibe. Thank you. you Thank had you. That Thank vibe. You. That you had a good energy. So and then I was like, okay. 
And I remember like saying, hey, let's go roller skating. Do you remember when I used to coach cheerleading <laughs> and I invited you to go roller skating with the cheerleader? <laughs> you didn't make it, but. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I would have been shooting the duck. Do you know what shooting the duck was? Where you drop down, you put one leg out. I'm just oh, joking yeah. with you. There's, there's always that 28-year-old dude uh, that's at the skating rink. That, you yeah. know what I'm saying? And he knows how to do all the moves. Yep. And he has his own skates. Shout out to that dude. He's probably driving a Trans Am and has a leather jacket and hangs out at the high school. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a bad time. So talk to us about talk to us about pops and mom. Um, you know some again some of the lessons and some of the sayings. Like I find myself saying the same stuff that my dad. My brother used to give me a hard time. He'd be like, "You are Tom Cardenas." That's what he would tell me, and I was like, "No, I'm not Tom Cardenas." And now I'm like, my son got in the pool the other day, and we're we're sitting there. It was yesterday. Mm-hmm. Two, no, two days ago. And I have a football. And my son's in, the, he's 10 years old. And he's, he looks up at me, he's like, throw me the football, boy. Like, and, <laughs> and, and I look at my wife, she looks at me and she's like, you did this. And I was like dumbfounded. Like, I just got regulated on by a 10-year-old <laughs> and he called me boy. And I thought back and I was like, that's what my dad, that's how my dad talked to me. That's how pops talked to me. He's like, boy, this is what I'm going to tell you. And now I'm doing that. Um, talk to us about some of the, the sayings that you're using that you're either your dad or your mom uh, used on you when you were a kid. Oh, I caught myself telling Jeffrey a couple weeks ago, don't make me reach up. You're not tall enough for me to reach up and slap you. <laughs> I remember my mom saying that to my brother. Like, my brother was acting up. And she was like, you are not tall enough for me to smack you. And my brother was like, oh, you're a shrimp. And Jeffrey Mm -hmm. did that to me, too. And I was like, I will get this chair and stand on it. (laughs) So where is the art lost in beating your kids? You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, we've talked about this before. Like, we both got swats when we were growing up, right? Now... I joke about this, and people will get offended. They'll be like, oh, my gosh, would you ever? And yeah. I remember I swatted my son one time. Mm-hmm. One time. I said, I'm going to count to three, and if not, you're going to get a spanking. And this dude, Challenged he, he side-eyed me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He side-eyed me. I was like, I'm going to count to three. And he, he was like, and he just looked at me, and he was like, and he didn't say anything, but I think he said, all right. And... And then I said one, and like every other parent, I was like two, two and a half. Two and three quarters. Two and three quarters. I didn't know it after that. Two and seven eighths, <laughs> you know what I mean? I didn't know where to go. And then I finally <laughs> said three, and I said, okay, I told you I had to, uh, you know, give you a spanking. And I was like, do you understand why you're getting a spanking? And he looked at me dead in my face. He was five years old, and he was like, Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he demoralized me. I didn't even know how to spank him at the time. So the lost art of getting a little bit of a swat. I swatted my kids. I, I'm honest. Good. And to the point where I remember Jeffrey telling me, I'm calling the police. <laughs> I said, you, okay. Can you imagine if you would have told your mom that or your dad that? I was like, all right. I picked up my phone and I'm like, he's like, who are you calling? I'm like. I'm calling Sergeant Leos from the sheriff's right now because, you know, I work for the fire department, and I have that connection with the sher- the local sheriff. <laughs> and uh, the local sheriff had already told me the story that a little boy had called the police on his mom for spanking him. And when he got there, he said he went into the house, and he sat down on the couch, and the kid's like, what are you going to do? Aren't you going to arrest her? And he, uh, he goes, no, I'm here to watch. <laughs> 
because, you know, I mean, but we come from that old school mentality where, you know what, sometimes you got to swat your kids to get your point across. Now, you don't beat them. No. You don't take them outside and, like, box with them. You know, I did have a friend whose dad did that with her her brother, (laughs) gave him boxing gloves, and they duked it out in the front yard. (laughs) You know, but then that's that old school mentality. But a swat here and there, you know. And, I, like, I tell my my older boy, don't make me spider monkey you. <laughs> and he's like, spider monkey? Oh, no, I don't want you to spider monkey me. Because, again, you know, he tried to step up to me once, and he was running his mouth and got in my face, and I backed up down the hallway as he's standing in front of the door, and I made sure he was going to be safe because he's standing in front of his bed. And I'm backing up, and he's just rah, 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 yelling and screaming at me. And I took off running, and I just flew through the air and landed on top of him. It had to be the shock factor. It had to just. I have never heard the spider monkey before. It's just it was for the shock. This is. It didn't hurt him because he landed on the bed, but I was on top of him, and I always tell him that's the spider. That's the spider monkey story. How long did this backup take? I'm I'm thinking it's in slow motion. It's in slow motion. And in my head is playing in slow mo. I'm backing up. Just backing up. Backing was there music too? Was there music too? Was there a theme? Going in my head. What what Fire theme music? <laughs> what I, you you almost went to a different type. Of <laughs> some but of I our, ended up. some of our what what, you, what theme music would you would you have? What, oh what, where gosh, would we go? I don't even know. I don't even know. I just. DMX, stop. You know what? That would be a good theme song. Open up shop. Yeah. Oh. Oh. <laughs> That's so, how rough Brian <laughs> That would be yeah. after you got up. After so, you got up off yes. after this. But parents the out there. wind blowing in my hair. Try the spider monkey. I, I've never heard. That's just, that's just something I created. That is gangster. I just, it was just, he was like out of control. He could not, con- he just was, he was just shot running his mouth, running his mouth. And I'm like, what am I going to do? Because at this time he was bigger than me. Had you seen the spider monkey no. before? No, 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 no. You no. came up with it I on came the up spot. With the spider monkey on the spot. That's what moms That's do. That's what I call it. Shout out to moms. Yeah. Shout out so to moms. He just, I mean, to see, and I could just, <laughs> after the fact, <laughs> I was visualizing myself like flying through the air. With my legs and everything going crazy. But I did it, and it freaked out my little one, Kyle, because he still remembers the You're situation. You're damn right he does. He just, he's like, Mom, I, I remember you flying through the air, landing on top of Jeffrey. And, I mean, like, I braced myself so I didn't, like, land on him. My arms, you know, it's on all fours. And I just screamed at him and told him he needed to cut that crap out. I, I'm just imagining Jeffrey going to school and being like, yo, dude. Uh, he's his, his eyes are wide. His friends are like, yo, Jeffrey, you're kind of off. What's going on? And he's like, dude, I got spider monkey by my mom. <laughs> <laughs> That's even better than you spider monkey. Well, now I tell Kyle, like we were at a friend's house a couple weeks ago swimming and he kind of got a little beside himself. And I'm like, don't make me spider monkey you. Can you imagine in front of your friends getting spider monkey by your mama? Oh, I would never do that. That would be them. awesome. Oh. Gosh, I would never do that. That totally embarrass him. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like we, sometimes we need a little bit of embarrassment. True. So true. when we we were, I mean, on the subject of old school, mm-hmm. we were talking about some of the laughs that we had because when Jeffrey would come to you with music and be like, "Yo, mom, I uh, this new thing that uh, that we were listening to," and and a lot of times it's a sample of things that we listened to before. 
Right. 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 And obviously our parents do this to, uh, did this to us. And we were like, no, no, you don't understand. This ain't a sample. This is the new stuff. This is the new stuff. The new right? stuff. Right. So let me tell you a couple weeks ago, he's listening to this music and it's Kwame. Do you, you remember of the Of course Kwame? I know Kwame. So he discovers on my playlist Kwame. He was like, mom, there's this new singer and his name is Kwame. I said, He's not new. Come on, that's from the Yo MTV rap days. I said, that's the polka dot king. That, that's the that's the gumby. Right? Well, not the gumby, the, the shelf. The, he, he had the he shelf had, with the bleach. He had the bleach, yes, yes. He was one of the first. Right? And so I was like, the man we all know and love. Yes, Kwame. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, and my, that was like my favorite singer. I mean, to the point where I was polka dotted out back in the day. Yes, with some silk. I had polka yeah, dot silk shirts. shirts. I had polka dot bathing suits. I had polka dot. I love polka dot. Did you did you go uh, uh, overalls with one strap down? I did back in the yes, day. Yes, with yeah. some polka dots on but underneath it. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yep. Talk to us about that era of music because this is a point of contention with so many people because they're like, oh, you're old. You, uh, you're, you're just that get off my lawn kind of guy. You have not adapted. And I'm like, no. I mean, not to say. Now, I listen to it. And I, I, I'm, a, I'm a 90s kid and... and uh, you know, 90s hip hop, mm-hmm. late 80s, early 90s, mid 90s hip hop, phenomenal. They call it the golden age. Yeah. R&B, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not talking about the lyrical content sometimes because when I listen back to it, I'm like, what in the heck? Yeah. I mean, at the time, both of us, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to uh, support him now, but uh, we both were listening to R. Kelly at the time. I was not a huge R. Kelly. You guy. weren't? No. Not even 12 play? I loved. I can't listen to it now, but I was a I was a fan. Yeah, I but I listen to the lyrics now, and I'm like, that is awful. <laughs> yeah, not even one R. Kelly song. Just I, the one that's commercialized. I believe I can fly. That one I like, but okay. I was. I did not go out and buy R. Kelly CDs or cassette tapes. Or <laughs> I love this because most of the people that are listening, well, a lot of our listeners know what a CD and a tape is, but our young listeners are like, what, what, what are those? What's a what are those? Tape? What, you mean a download? Yeah. <laughs> so, Jodeci? I did. I love Jodeci. Yes. Mm-hmm. Jodeci. Um, talk to us about the uh, that golden age, uh, what they refer to as golden age, because a lot of people are saying that, no, you just need to come into today. Not to say that I don't like some music today, because I do, mm-hmm. um, but I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm a huge fan. I, do you think it's because it's when we grew up, or do you think it's because it was that good of music? I think the music was good back then. It told a story. Okay. Versus now, some of the stuff you hear on the radio, you're like, what the heck are they talking about? Yeah. But back then, it told a story, you know, um, you know, Queen Latifah with her ladies mm. first. And, you know, you just, it told a story. It was about respect. And, I mean, yes, you had your NWA and everything, but, and your two live crew, <laughs> and your digital underground. Hey, I, But I, it still told a story. Did I ever tell you my two live crew story? No. This was the worst thing ever. <laughs> there, I mean, the, 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 when it came out, Nasty As They Want To Be. Mm-hmm. That, that, we had that tape, and we had a, um... 1987, Cutlass Supreme, diesel, <laughs> velour interior, mm-hmm. cassette deck. We used to drive this bad boy 40 miles each way to school. We only had one car. My mom wanted to ride with us, uh, drive us to school that day, so she would have the car because we only had one car. She used to have to stay 40 miles away from, like on the freeway by herself if she didn't drive us to school. Okay. We drive her to school. We get out the car. 
we turn to my mom and we say, whatever you do, do not push that tape into the tape deck. Why would we ever do this? Why don't we just take the tape out of the cassette deck? <laughs> but all we said was, mom, whatever you do, don't put in that tape. What do you think my mom did? Put in the tape and was appalled. She listened to my mom. I think it burned her ears. I, I am. I, I mean, that was awful. It was. One, I mean, and my mom. My mom's face was. I mean, she was white anyway. But my mom's face was so white when she she picked us up, and then it turned red. And then you know she she was like you. I'm glad she didn't spider monkey me. But <laughs> now, how about as far as music today? What uh, what what would you say? Let's uh, well, let's go back. Uh, give me your top five uh, from uh, the golden era. Oh gosh. Of course, you know, I, like I said, I have to have my Kwame. Okay. Um, gosh, there's so many. Um, you know, I used to love Big Daddy Kane. Mm. I think Let one of the best lyricists of all time. I got a, I got a Big Daddy Kane story. For Get it. You. So I'm in the eighth grade. My friend gets uh, tickets for her birthday to go to the Two Live Crew Big Daddy Kane Digital Underground concert. Her mom Whoa. took us. Whoa. Her mom took us. Her right? mom took her you? Her mom took us. And so Big Daddy Kane's on stage. How, how old screaming. are you? I'm eighth grade, like 13. 13 years 13. old. Yeah. Okay, go. And he goes, he comes up on stage. He's like, how are women like stamps? And we're like, what? And no. we look at her mom. And we're like, what? And he goes, first you have to lick them, then stick them. That was my first, like, dirty experience. That's, daddy, that's Big Daddy Kane? That was Big Daddy Kane oh, that said that. Man. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I, You know, I I was in shock, but obviously it stuck with me. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, you, re- you remember it from that I time. I remember it. But Big Daddy Kane, I, I, I go to work. Was it, no, was it Cool Modia I go to work? Or? Uh, cool Modia. Cool Modia I go to work. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but, I, but I like Cool Modia, too. Cool Modi was good. Cool Modi, he looked different without the glasses. And the hat. And the hat. When he had the glasses and the hat, he was just... Remember, he had the leather hat that matched every outfit. Yes. Oh, every leather outfit. I remember the first time I saw him without the glasses. I and I was like, I, I didn't even think it was him. Oh. I didn't. Because he used to wear those big, huge... They're wearing oh, them today. The kind of big blade yeah. kind of across, mm-hmm. the, across the head. So Big Daddy Kane. Uh, I love me some Kwame. LL. LL. Oh, God. Now, do you like booty begging uh, uh, LL, or do you like LL, like Rock the Bells LL? I like when I'm alone in the room. Sometimes I stare at the wall. Yes. Okay. (laughs) But he changed. It it, it hurt me because he changed hip-hop because then after that, because that was such a hit, I need love, then every hip-hop guy tried to do a love song, and none of them hit the mark. No. None of them. They all tried. And then... LL turned from like the the hip hop head that that loved like rock the bells all, all that stuff. Mama said knock you out, mm-hmm. and then he turned into like I'm gonna take my shirt off, pour water on myself, and and make me me mm-hmm. feel really uncomfortable at his concert because I just didn't want to stare at him naked. <laughs> uh, well, well he, you know, but every woman was swooning. I understand. Right, right, right. I, I won't hate on you, LL, because of that. Okay, so we got three. Who who's the next one? Now I don't know if people remember them, but Vanity Six. Vanity Six. Vanity Six. Remember, they came out with Prince. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they sang a song called Nasty Girl. Yes. And the only reason that sticks in my mind is my, so my mom would put the album on. It okay. was an album, not album. Yes. Had you had to put console. it in the right place. You had to yes. put it in the right place. 
and <laughs> Nasty Girl would come on, and it would be me, my mom, my Aunt Jan, my Aunt Jay, and we would dance around the living room, and they would be doing their nasty dance, and I would just be jumping around, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes, and then, okay. of course, I know it's not hip-hop, but Prince. I, oh. I love my Prince. Amazing. And, you know, when he when he passed away, I thought I was going to fall out. I was at work when he passed away, and I was crying at my desk. And my boss is like, well, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, Prince died. <laughs> he's like, you're really crying over Prince, someone that you don't know. I'm like, but he's been a big part of my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a big one. I was a huge, I was actually a huge Michael fan. Uh, you know, growing up, I had the, ja- I mean, I had the, the satin, um, yes. satin jacket. And- uh, I had the glove. I have the doll still. I have the Michael Jackson. I know. My dad has that. I used to think, man, it's going to be worse. But then all the stuff, like, it, I mean. You know, it may. I don't know. He's. I mean, I got kids. I mean, I, I'm going to say, like, if you, if everyone out there listening can keep a secret. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just, seriously, like, Michael, for me, was was it. Because it was hairband time for my brother. Like, my brother was listening to, like, Van Halen and oh. Rat and Motley Crue and stuff like that, and I just couldn't get down with it. Right. You know, I wasn't a heavy metal guy. I was, like, a R&B, hip-hop and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because my pop, and I don't know uh, how your parents were with this, but my pop was so eclectic music-wise. Mm-hmm. So he would be listening to the Led Zeppelin, um, and then he would turn on Al Green. Then he would turn on, you know, um, he, he'd be listening to the Beatles or Santana, and then he mm-hmm. would turn on, you know, uh, Marvin Gaye. And, That's my and dad's it, So it was all or across country. the board. Yeah. Hank, oh, Hank Williams Jr., I think it is. My dad would be listening. I'm like, Dad, what are you listening to? But he does it in his garage, in his man space. Okay. So And he still does it. You know, he turns on his music. He sits out in the garage, smokes his cigar, does his thing, and... If you had to describe your dad to someone who didn't know your dad, how would you do it? You know, my dad is just a level-headed guy who, if you piss him off, will come after you. You know, you don't mess with his family, but he's well-known in our community and loved. And any kid that was coached by him in, in Little League, even though they're like 40 years old now, still turn into that five- or six-year-old kid when they see my dad, Coach Cliff, Coach Cliff, you know, or Coach Coach C, and they run after him and hug him. I mean, it happened, we were at Friday's one time, and the kid comes up, and he's serving us, and he's like, Coach C, it's me, and I'm going to pay for all your food. Don't worry about it. You know, it's just everybody loves him. So talk to us too about. Uh, I think of, when I think of you, I, I I think of you building a body and a lifetime of work. Um, you've never been this person who is like the flash in the pan type of person. Whether it be your work with the uh, with the fire department, um, you you have continued to grow, and it hasn't been like oh I'm gonna I, I need to blow up now. And with with uh, Keila's Ankara boutique, even then <clears throat> when I started asking you about it, you were like no I'm going through the process. I'm building it. I want people to really understand the meaning of this, and I want you them to understand the impact they can have not only on them in their fashion and in their personality and in their self-esteem, but I also want them to get involved with their heritage, with their culture, and to be able to see that there's so many beautiful things and there's so much great craftsmanship. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Most people in today's age are in a hurry with this. What helped you and what gave you the foundation to not be in a rush and want to build something that will last? So um, 
I do. I have a special friend over in Ghana, and he kind of helped me come up with the vision for Kila's Ankara Boutique. He's the one that actually took me over to, her name is Perpetual. Uh, so there's an actual woman that, that when you're making these garments, because I was there when you were like ma- uh, emailing, back, or it was emailing or WhatsApp or WhatsApp, whatever it was. Yeah. You were WhatsApping, I don't uh-huh. know if that's a verb. Um, you were WhatsApping back and forth to Ghana while we were having a conversation and you were talking about the designs. So there's a face behind these designs and it's not just, I'm just sending this off to a factory and then it's coming back. Right. Am I it's correct? It's actually Perpetual, the seamstress, and she's got like five people that work with her, uh, five ladies. And uh, so Inyanaya goes, you know, I contact him. We go, he's my, uh, kind of my, my logistics person over there. Okay. And, uh, I call him, hey, Inya, you know, I was thinking about this. And he goes and he'll meet with uh, with Perpetual. Uh-huh. And then they come up with the design and they come up with the material print that we want. I just say, hey, I want red. I want, I, you know, I want it to be predominantly red because that's like, you know, that's my signature color. Yeah. And um, he'll send me back the design and then I say, okay, yes, I like it. No, I don't want like it or it needs to be longer or shorter. So, yes, there is a person. It's not a factory. It's an actual a seamstress over in uh, in Ghana. In Ghana, and so you're going to be in San Diego or in LA or all over this country where you're able to order it, and you're not wearing something that came out the factory. You're uh, wearing something that came from Perpetual. Is her name? Yes, Perpetual. Perpetual. Yes. <clears throat> also, um, you have a charitable. <clears throat> excuse me. You have a charitable uh, cause too that you've linked to this that I was blown away by. And number one, why is that so important to you? And number two, what is it? So, um, again, in Yanaya, uh, we were talking about trying to figure out how the business can help over in Ghana. You know, not just m- help line my pockets and people here in the United States be able to wear the clothing, but how can I give back to the people in Ghana? So, of course, Perpetual, I'm helping her business. So, economy-wise, economic-wise, she's making money, but... He was like, well, my brother is part of a men's group, and they adopt an orphanage every year. And I said, okay. So what I did the last time before I went to Ghana is I did a a GoFundMe. I was like, okay, I'm just going to try to raise $500, and we're going to go to this orphanage, or we're going to find an orphanage, and I'm going to donate food or whatever, clothing or whatever is needed. So he actually set it up. And we went over to, it's called Adenta, that's the community or the little city within Ghana or Accra. And we went to the Christ First foster home. And I bought $500 worth of beans, rice, I bought toiletries, I bought um, powdered milk, just things that they would need. And we actually got to go on the grounds and donate the items to these kids. And it was very emotional because... Of course, they're seeing this American woman, and some of them have never seen an American or heard an American speak. So I have one little girl who came up and, like, held my hand, and um, they sang to us, and they danced for us, and then we got to tour the facility because it's, like, all, everything's on one ground. So you've got the, the housing where they live, and then you've got their cafeteria. You've got their school. They grow their own food. They have their own animals. So it's, like, kind of all-inclusive. And what got my attention is they start from age three months and they keep the kids until they're 23 years old. They don't keep them, but, you know, they can stay there until they're 23, unlike the U.S. where we kick them out of foster care at 18. Mm. 
um, they get to stay there and go to school or while they're going to college, they can stay at this, um, at this foster home. And it just really, it kind of sparked a a passion in me. Mm -hmm. So I decided that from my sales, uh, 10% of my profit will go back to the, um, the orphanage when I go back, you know, once or twice a year to, to visit. So I am making my trek over there. I mean, I've only had two sales so far, so um, I have 50 bucks for them, but I am doing a, uh, another GoFundMe. Well, Which, I, I want to I want to encourage you too because I think a lot of times people when you say that the 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 vulnerability of of saying you know I have I've I've had two sales, um, but also uh, what I want I want to encourage you in is it's like everything else that you've done in your life, Akila. It's it's. It's those little inch stones, those little steps, right? Those little tiny steps that you're taking towards. And it's not about the big things because I think so many times people will posture up and be like, oh, well, you know, I, I'm, I've sold X amount or I've done all these things. Mm-hmm. And you're starting off with the right foundation. And what my mom always told me was that if you start, if whatever starts out right ends up right. Yes. And if you do the right things for the right reasons, the right things turn out. Not the things that you want to happen turn out, but the right things right. for you at that time. And I, I want to encourage you in that. And I just think I think that it's uh, that it's phenomenal because I think it's it's fashionable, right? Mm-hmm. In today's society to be like, oh well, you know, I'm going to connect myself with a charity. But there's very few people who are personally connected. Like you've been at this orphanage, you've yes. seen these kids, you've looked in their eyes. Yes, you know. Tell us the, uh, the, the, the biggest shock in starting a business when you like for, because after the pandemic, I don't know if anybody out there has heard of the pandemic, but it was this thing that shut down the world. I don't know if any of you guys heard of it, but after that, every single person on the world became an entrepreneur, everybody. Yes. Yes. Talk to us about a couple of lessons that that you learned and that you were like, wow, I didn't even know that part existed or I became aware of this thing in starting a business. Biggest thing is cash flow. You have to be able to have money to buy your product that you're going to sell. (laughs) So, you know, of course, me, I'm just working extra hours here and there and that's what was, that's what funded the beginning steps. And so now I'm like, can't continue to do this. You know, I've got to get this business off the ground. So now I'm, you know, trying to do grants and I'm going to do a Kickstarter and just different things to try to bring in more cash flow. That's my biggest challenge, Mm -hmm. cash flow. I mean, because it's cheaper for me to fly over and pick up the items than it is to ship it in FedEx. Because I'm going to tell you, I did it and they charged me $1,200 for 10 pounds. Whoa, $1,200? $1,200 for 10 pounds. That's and amazing. it didn't even get here on time. So now I'm challenging because, you know, they have this, if anybody doesn't know, if you do not get your items on time from FedEx, they will refund you your money. And wow. so now I'm petitioning to get my refund. <laughs> but, yes, it's $1,200. Well, and also too, if you're out there listening and, you know, I, I think that, um, I think crowdsourcing as far as I'm not talking about the financial part, but I'm just talking about the, the support. Um, if you're a person out there who's an entrepreneur, you're a a woman, uh, you know, a, a minority woman who's in business, um, 
this is a way to be able to connect with the Aquila because Aquila has some, I mean, she's now she's in the import export business. That's what she's in. And she has understood the channels and been able to get to those points. But also too, some of you out there are going to have some cool ideas and to be able to reach out and be able to connect, which I think is amazing. And I want to encourage you too, because that uh, like what you said is so genius when you said the number one challenge. And this is the number one challenge. This comes right from the CFO, or he was, he was, uh, he was a CEO of uh, Paul Mitchell at the time, and he was a mentor of mine, and he said the number one challenge in any business is cash flow. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and so it's, it's amazing because you already touched on that. You already hit it. You're already understanding that lesson, um, which, I, which I think is, is incredible. Um, I said at the beginning of the, uh, of the podcast that – we were going to try and get 25 years of friendship. We can't get 25 years of friendship into, a, into an hour. Um, and I want to have you back. I want to, I want to continue to, uh, to be able to see this journey. Um, you know, as we, as you grow, um, not only in your business, but it's cool because as we grow in our, our friendship and we're able to see the, you know, the things that, um, you know, that you get a chance to experience, I get a chance to experience mm-hmm. uh, that we never thought. I mean, number one was the kids part, Right. right. Like, at 21 years old, that was the furthest thing. I mean, it was like, oh, well, what are you going to, you're going to go roller skating this weekend? What are you going right. to do? And, and, and be able to hang out. So I just think that it's, it's amazing, amazing what you're doing. And not only that, but it's amazing why you're doing it, right? Um, can you talk to the, um, to the young black women out there? Um, what would you want them to know about this journey? that you've been on because now us looking back on it, I don't know if you feel this, but I felt I didn't need to be in such a hurry. So if I was talking to, you know, a a young entrepreneur or a young uh, Mexican American kid, um, I want them to know that everything's going to work out. Like everything's going to work out. You can slow down. What would you say? I mean, whether it be to African American uh, woman, I want to speak to that directly because a lot of times um, I, I don't think that, um, as many women get encouragement from women that have been there and done that like you have? You know, um, take your time. It, it, there's no rush. I mean, yes, you want to start a business, or yes, you wanna, you're in the stage of your life and you want to make it grow fast. Take your time. You know, my biggest advice is just on a life perspective, don't rush and get married. Enjoy life. You know, travel. Do the things you want to do before you settle down and uh, get that family. I mean, that's just coming from me. I mean, I did. I waited until I was 25 to get married, and I had kids at 27. I would have waited till I was 30 and then had kids at 35. You know, maybe I'd be further along in some of my uh, dreams and, and endeavors, but um, just take your time. And also, like, coming from the emotional side of, being a woman, just always be positive about yourself. I mean, I went through a phase in my life where probably the last 10 years, well, yeah, last 10 years, um, I went, I gained a lot of weight, I was down on myself, I was very emotional, and I wasn't feeling I was getting support. Make sure you lean on your support system, your parents, your family. Um, My parents always have been supportive, but when it come, it came to the person that was living in the household with me, that person was not, and he was supposed to be my support system, and he wasn't there. And I um, 
like I said, I gained a lot of weight. I gained 300 pounds. And it wasn't until the pandemic I realized, you know what, I'm a beautiful woman. I need to start taking care of myself um, because I was focused on my kids. My kids, I was running them to PTA, running them to, I was running them to school, doing PTA, Little League board, uh, going to work. I was worried about my family and not myself. And so I ended up just finally deciding, you know what, I'm going to focus on myself. I started working out, started eating right, I lost 100 pounds, and I feel like a new woman, you know, and just take care of yourself. That's the biggest thing. Take care of yourself and go after your dreams. It may take a while for your dream, for you to achieve your dreams, but just take your time. There's no rush. Well, I've got a chance to be able to see the transformation, and the transformation, when you say 100 pounds, like, I, I think of it as, I mean, you may have lost 100 pounds, but I see the, like, a, a, a thousand percent in improvement mm-hmm. in your self-confidence, in your smile, in every aspect. Although you told me you were a little nervous to come on the podcast. Very nervous. <laughs> you, but I'm saying like you sat down and you just kill it. Like everybody loves you. Um, can you talk to uh, one, one last thing that I want to, uh, that I would love for you to speak to is the, the young black women and, from your perspective now, you've gone to Africa, yes. you've gone to Ghana, you've seen that not all societies are like our society, right? right? And when you were saying, you looked around and there was a bunch of women that were curved, uh, curvy women, yes. and you fell in love. Like when you came back, this was, I mean, this was a statement that you said, is you were like, I fell in love with my blackness. Yes. Can you talk to the young black woman about falling in love with their blackness um, you know, to help encourage them on their journey? Well, I'm going to tell you, falling in love with your blackness, you don't have to be all pro-black power. You're falling in love with the person that you are. You know, you love the person you are. You love the person that you see in the mirror that interacts with everybody every day. That's embracing your blackness. And uh, I mean, because I do have friends that are black power. You got to be black power all the time you know, and you, they only like black TV shows, and they only go to black businesses, and that's, that's not life, but just embrace who you are as a person, Mm. you know, love yourself, and uh, yeah. Well, I want to encourage every, uh, every little woman out there, whether you're black, you're brown, you're uh, beige, any, any color that you are, um, the example who Akilah is, and when you said that, like, I, the reason why I said why I said that statement as far as fall in love with your blackness is because because of our relationship, I knew what you were talking about. And I watched Akila just come to the forefront. And it has been a phenomenal transformation in these last, I mean, when I say in these last couple years especially, but over the last 25 years where you've really fallen in love with who Akila is. And just being like, now I love it because you're at this point where you're like, if you love Akila, high five. If you don't, you'll figure, you'll figure it, you'll figure it out at some point. And that's what I love about it. And when you started talking to talking to me about Keela's on Cara Boutique, it wasn't like you were trying to sell me on it. You were just like, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. This is what I believe in. Yeah. And if you would like to come along, it'll benefit you because you'll have phenomenal clothing, you'll have phenomenal jewelry, and you'll be in touch with something that is making a difference in this world. But if not, High five. I'll yeah. still be your friend. Yeah. So I want to I congratulate you on that. I started the podcast because of my kids. 
Maddox and McKenna, who you've seen grow up over the years, yes. um, 10, uh, Maddox is 10 and uh, McKenna is 13. And so I would like to take iconic people like yourself and I want them to see that anything in the world is possible, that, you know, um, being a phenomenally successful mother is possible at the exact same time where you're creating a phenomenally successful career. Yes. That's possible while you go after your passion and become an entrepreneur during the same time. Yes. And that you can fall in love with yourself and exactly who you were meant to be over the course of this whole journey. So what advice would you give to Maddox and McKenna? And if you could use both of their names, it would be awesome. You know, Maddox and McKenna, you have a great dad, by the way. Great dad, great mom, and just, you know, grow. Now, Kelly, you put me on the spot, so now I'm all nervous. <laughs> Don't mean, <laughs> she tried to tell me she's nervous, and <laughs> I tell you, for, for Akila and I, for, I mean, for the first 10 years of us working together, I mean, we did a little bit of hair, but we did a whole lot of laughing. And we are cutting up the whole time. I mean, and a lot of people don't understand our conversations while we're going about it because we'll switch from back and forth like you've seen on this show today. But I tell you, and when she says, I get nervous, I mean, you ain't I'm nervous. I'm nervous. You're I nervous? Am. I am. I am. <laughs> All right. So what advice do you have? You have to say their names too. Maddox and Mike. Someone said Jonathan and, and, um, Matthew, <laughs> and Matthew the other day. I think it was my buddy Craig. Craig, right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to smack you for that. Um, so Maddox and McKenna, what advice would you have for him? Well, Maddox, make sure you go after your dreams. I know you're, uh, you're a uh, hands-on type of person, your dad says. But you know what? You're an athlete, too. Go after your sports. You play basketball and baseball, correct? Yeah, and football, too. Oh, and football, yes. too. You know, my boy plays uh, basketball and baseball. And he told me he's going to go pro. And I said, okay. So you know what? Follow your dreams. Enjoy life. I always say that, enjoy life. You got because it goes so fast. Yes. It goes so fast. And in no time, he's going to be like 25 years old. Time about, oh, I wish I was 10 years old with my dad again, <laughs> hanging out at the podcast, you know? <laughs> 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 you know, and McKenna, she's, you're a beautiful girl. Um, and you know what? What sports does she play? Does she play sports? She though? does. Uh, she played softball for a little bit. Now she's into the theater. So she's acting, oh. writing, and uh, she wants to act, write, and produce, and direct. Well, what's going to be cool is one day I'm going to see her up on the screen, and I'm going to say, that's Kelly's, that's Kelly's kid. <laughs> the superstar. Superstar. He's like, wave to me from the audience when I'm in there, you know, with my gray hair. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll make sure. We'll yeah, make we'll sure. Yeah, we yeah, got yeah, you. Yeah, I got yeah. you. I got you. No, and it's funny because she was telling me the other day she was already planning for when she does a red carpet event. And she wasn't doing it because she was famous. She was like, Dad, you know, I want you there with me. And, uh, and it's, so, it's just amazing to see the way that the kids dream today, mm -hmm. you know, because if you are out there and you're in a, a little bit different generation, sometimes you came up against resistance. And right. in this generation, you, you tell us as a kid that you want to do it. As a parent, we're saying, like, let's go. Let's go try it. Yeah. Well, you know, like my youngest, he, I always call him, he's my cocky child. He's like, I know I'm the shit. Excuse me if I curse. Hey, and I, you're I fine. <laughs> I'm the shit, mom. I, he doesn't say the shit, but that's the mentality he has. Yeah. He's like, I'm going pro. And I'm like, okay, Kyle. My older boy, he wasn't like that. He's just meek and mild. Uh -huh. Kyle's like, I'm going pro. And when I go pro, mom, I'm going to have this huge house, and I'm going to put you in the back of the house, and you're going to have your own house. He goes, and in your, your house, uh, you're going to have, like, a huge shoe closet. And I said, okay. 
He goes, I, I promise. I, that's what's going to happen. And I said, and I believe you, buddy. I believe you. But, Kyle, you better not put Mama in the back of the house. you got to right? put her in the front of the house. Well, because I think her. what he's saying, his little mentality was, he's going to build me a house in the back of the uh, property. Build it in the front, man. Because he wants to live. He told me he wants to live with me for hey, his whole life. You better keep that. You and, better keep that. That is I amazing. Said, okay, well, you better get a maid, too. Yes, because I ain't, I ain't trying cook. to clean it. And I ain't trying to clean it. Because I'm not trying to cook you. <laughs> but Kyle, don't put her in the back of the house, man. <laughs> don't put her in the back of the house. She is she is too great for that. Uh, Keila, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. It has been absolutely phenomenal. We're going to have the links for uh, Keila's Ankara Boutique. We're going to have the links for the uh, for the GoFundMe as far as the um, the, the charity aspect of it. Um, but the, the main thing here is uh, what I was telling Akila is I want people to know who she is because I think the more people that know who Akila is, it doesn't matter whatever she does, you're going to want to be a part of it because of the person that she is. And so I want to I thank you again for being on the show. You acted like you were nervous when we started I'm off. very nervous. Can you believe an hour has gone by? I know, it um, just fly. It, it flies by, and it's, it's incredible. I want to thank you again for being on here. Now's the time where you click the links, you check out the sponsors, you do all the things that you know you need to do Cardenas Law Group, Finley Volvo Cars of Las Vegas, Pink Cans for Cancer. You need to check that one out. Uh, we got Squeeze Dried, Michael Mina, uh, .net, and um, you know I uh, Samaritan's Feet. Samaritan's Feet is something that uh, is is hugely uh, um, impacting this world. Put uh, shoes on over ten million kids <laughs> all over the world. So um, have a wonderful day. We thank you again for all of your support and helping us to become uh, in the top one percent globally as far as all podcasts. And I want to thank every single one of you who's been riding with us since the beginning. Akila, I want to thank you again, and you are officially off the hot seat. All right, thank you. <laughs>